who God said had a heart like his own. And then God promised that he would take the heart of Israel, which was like a stone, and replace it with a heart of flesh, creating me a clean heart. Uh, we're going to turn to the Word of God now, and Noel's going to bring us the Bible reading from Jeremiah chapter 3. There he is. Thanks, Noel. Something funny is going on. Yesterday morning when I had my quiet time, I thought, well, I, before I start reading my quiet time readings, I'll read what I've got to read this morning. So I opened my Bible and read. Then when there was a word in there that I uh, found it hard, didn't know just how to pronounce it. So I thought, well, I'll look up the front of my Bible and see how it tells me how to pronounce it. And uh, so I opened up Jeremiah chapter 3 and read and there was no big word in there. So I thought, that's funny. So I looked at my diary and said, Jeremiah 3. It was Jeremiah 2 that I'd read yesterday morning. Anyway, this morning, when I sat down, I thought, well, I'll just check on that. Pastor Luke, it's... Three, yeah, three. It's Jeremiah 2. I made a mistake on the order. <laughs> <laughs> it probably made a mistake on mine too. But, um, so um, I've been reading every now and then during the service Jeremiah 2. Of course, that's what it says here. But it's, I go back to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, reading from verse 12. Go, proclaim this message towards the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord, and I will frown on you no longer. For I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will, know, I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favours to the foreign gods unto every, every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, it will be never, it will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will it, nor will another one be made. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honour the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days the people of Judah will join the people of Israel and together they will come from a northern land to the land I gave you, an ancestors as an inheritance. May God bless his reading to our hearts, each one. Thank you.
Thank you, Noel. You're right, I got the reference wrong on the order of service, but I'm pretty sure I sent you the right one via text message. Um, I just hope I've prepared the right message this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we open your word, may it be alive to us. May we hear your voice. May we know it to be true. May it come with power to change our lives, that we might look to you, that we might serve you, that we might declare your praises to a generation yet to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I've played this game with you before. It's called Would You Rather? You get two choices. Would you rather this or would you rather that? Would you rather losing the ability to speak or losing the ability to read? Easy for the introverts, isn't it? They'll, they'll read. Easy for those that don't much like reading, they'll continue to speak. What about this one? Would you rather have a golden voice or a silver tongue? Would you rather be able to sing as beautifully as some of the voices we heard this morning? Or in your speech, would you prefer to be able to uh, always say the right thing? Would you prefer to be covered with fur or covered with scales? One's a little bit stranger, isn't it? Hands up those who'd like the fur covering. You're the cold-blooded ones. Hands up those who'd like the scales. You're looking forward to the beach this afternoon, I reckon. What about this one? Would you rather be described as faithless or unfaithful? I know they're both negative choices, but would you prefer to be described as faithless or unfaithful? They sound the same, don't they? One person has never been able to be trusted. They're faithless. You know that they will never believe. You'll never be able to put your confidence in them. Unfaithful, in a way, sounds better because at least at some point in your life, you've had faith. But unfaithfulness, I think, is actually worse than faithlessness. The person that you know you can't put your confidence in, you just never trust them. But the person who appears trustworthy and you give something of your confidence and trust to, who then proves unfaithful, aren't they the ones that grieve your heart more? Our reading this morning started at verse 12 of Jeremiah chapter 3. It sounds a message of hope to Israel. But really this is found in the context of a message that Jeremiah is speaking to Judah. Israel has been faithless, but Judah is worse. She has been unfaithful. In Revelation 3 uh, verse 14, we hear Jesus speak to one of the churches in the the letter that he, he sent through John in a vision. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God doesn't want for any of us this morning to be found outside of his will and outside of his purposes. But more than that, God would not have 
that any who have begun to, to put their confidence in Christ or, or to stand upon God's word to then turn away and then become or prove unfaithful. I want to begin at the um, early part of, of chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 5, and ask the question, who is it who has the power to bless? Judah's described in some awful ways here, uh, proving Judah's unfaithfulness. Uh, and it, in some of the words here, it's, it's a passage that we get directed to in times of drought. Interestingly, isn't it? Uh, because... When we begin to, to look at the, the dryness of our land, we begin to ask the question, why? And as we begin to pray, we begin to seek the Lord, not just for blessings that are to come on the land, but we come before God with repentance. The end of verse 2 says, You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore, the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. The land is in drought, Jeremiah says, for two reasons. One, you've defiled the land. I gave you this land that it would be the place that, that you would be my people and you would worship me, the one true God. But, but you are in the land and you are worshipping the gods of the surrounding lands. You have defiled the land going after the other gods. And not only this, but you are doing so without any shame. You refuse even to blush. God wants to point to Judah's guilt and its shame. Guilt in going after the other nations and shame that they're acting shameless. Acting like, well, we haven't done anything wrong to deserve this sort of treatment. It's similar, I think, to what uh, Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. He describes a, a, a people there by saying, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Judah was following in the land of promise the gods of the nation. They were fashioning for themselves gods out of stone and wood and bowing down to them, worshipping the creation rather than the creator. See, they were easily sold this lie because the gods of the nation were gods of fertility, 
They said things like, you want God to bless your land, you want God to bless your family, well, follow these fertility gods, follow the worship of, of these gods that will bring about the harvest or will bring uh, blessing in, into your family. And so the people did. They said, oh, it makes sense if we want a good harvest that we'll pray to the gods of the good harvest. We want blessing in our personal lives, we'll pray to the gods uh, uh, that will bring blessing to our personal lives. But they're praying to what seems to be gods that, that bless the land, while at the same time forsaking the God who has made all things who has created all things and put them in, in their places, who directs the seasons and, and gives the rain when it's, it's in season and, and holds it when it's not. This is the God who is saying to the people, you're trusting in these gods to give blessing to the land, but let me show you the power I have over them. I'm going to shut the heavens. I'm going to dry the land. I'm going to bring you to a point where you recognize that your trust has been misplaced. And when you come to that place, turn to me and acknowledge your sin. And I will open the heavens and give blessing once again. It follows that if the people have turned from trusting their creator for their spring rains, that God would withhold them. We're praying for rain in our country at the moment. And some may say... The rain will come whether you pray for it or not. Trusting God to bring the rain, it's a futile hope. The rain will come, we just have to wait. But I think like fasting, times of drought do good things for increasing our hunger in prayer. They do good things in reminding us of our need for God. They do good things for us acknowledging that we are below God that we don't have power over all things, that it is to God that we need to trust. And as we turn to God, we examine our hearts and we say, well, is there anything, God, that we should be ashamed of? Is there anything that we have been doing that would grieve your heart? Anything that we've been doing that itself destroys our land? Anything that we've been doing that has taken our focus from trusting in the creator of all things and placing it in the creation rather than the creator. Let me tell you, if we don't take opportunity like the times that we're in at the moment to turn in repentant hearts before God, we risk having the same attitude as the people of Judah. Read verses 4 and 5. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend from my youth? Will you be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk. But you do all the evil that you can. The people had this attitude that, well, God will bless us in the end. You know, he's the faithful one. He's the true one. He, he'll make certain that, that we get everything that we need. Well, at the same time in their hearts, they're continuing just after pleasure and indulgence and, and seeking after things in evil ways. Because you can imagine if you're praying to gods of fertility that, that sexual immorality, is, it's, it's a part of that worship, and it was. God doesn't want us to just 
Keep him as a promise keeper. And use that as license to do whatever we want. As we pray to God for rain, we pray with repentant hearts. We acknowledge that God has called us not just to be blessed by him, but to be a blessing because of him. But is it right then to compare ourselves, let's say, to Judah? Well, I think it is because Jeremiah here is is actually now going to begin to, to speak to Judah about the story of Israel. Now, remember, Israel and Judah are a part of the, the nation that God has called to himself, the 12 tribes of, of Israel, but, but they have become separated. It's part of God's punishment on them that, that the, 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 the land would be torn in two. And Israel is the, the 10 northern uh, tribes, Judah, the two southern tribes. And Israel, at this time that Jeremiah is speaking, have already been punished by God. They've been taken from their land, most of them. Other foreigners have been brought into their land to occupy it. And Judah, you might think, can get on its soapbox and say, Ah, yes, Israel deserved what she got. They were putting up little bars all over the place. They had false places of of worship to the one true God. They they failed to come down to Jerusalem and and worship God in in the place that he deserves to, that that he has said, This is the only place I, I will worship. But in that arrogance and that pride of heart, now they are continuing to do exactly what Israel has done, but even worse. Jeremiah is going to describe that Israel was faithless. King after king, generation after generation, they they never turned to me in their hearts. They always pursued foreign gods. Judah, well, you're doing a good job of pretending faithfulness but acting faithless and so as jeremiah compares israel to judah in order that judah might uh, learn a lesson let's also uh, look at these words to see what god may be saying to us verse 6 during the reign of king josiah the lord said to me Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She's gone up onto every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done this that she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The Lord said to me, Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. I asked you earlier, Would you describe yourself as faithless or unfaithful? Or what would you prefer of those two? I can't help but bring a little bit of the Rugby World Championship into my message. I'm sorry. It's it's been for me a a tournament of disappointment. You know, the, the... The team that I put my hope in, that does so well in in one game, 
will then turn around and seem to be a different field uh, team on the pitch the following game. You think, well, here's going to be the victory. Here's, here's my hope. This is the team I'm going for. And then you just see victory turn to, to defeat. And I think, well, that's kind of typical of my life as well. Seems like one day I can, I can be strong and I can go on in hope and I think, well, now I've finally made it. I'm going to go all the way to, to find the victory, only to find that, well, just a week later, just five days later, you turn around and, and you face the same conflict and you're just a different person facing it. You think, how could I have gone from such strength to such weakness? I realise that the illustration doesn't work if you're a supporter of South Africa. What did they lose against Japan and then went on to become the world champions? Well, let's use that illustration. This is God's hope for us. That even though we might look at, at what is, is weak, that God is going to produce great victory in us because that is what God does. I do seriously want to point at personal discouragement. If I ask you about being unfaithful or being faithless, you might say, well, you could say both is true. You know, there's, there's been times where I really haven't put my trust in God at all. And there's been times that I've felt like I'm, I'm walking, you know, in obedience to him, and just a moment later, I turn my back on him. How unfaithful am I? Call me Israel, give me what I deserve. Call me Judah, give me the destruction that, that I deserve. Surely God will turn his back on me, for I've turned my back on him. But as Jeremiah speaks to Judah of Israel, in order to point out that here is a people who have turned from God and they should learn a lesson because that nation was punished, I think even as he speaks to Judah of there being hope still for Israel, while at this time he's saying there's hope for them, not for you, in truth that hope encourages both. It's in the passage that Norm read for us. Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer. For I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you have rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favours to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord. For I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, men will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will not even enter their minds, nor be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another be made. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their hearts. In those days, the house of Judah will join with the house of Israel, and together they will come from a northern land. 
I gave your forefathers as an inheritance. I myself said, how gladly I would treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, a most beautiful inheritance of any nation. Let's leave it there. God is describing now himself. And here are the promises that he gives. I will be your husband. I'm planning a wedding day where I will come and be united with you. And together we will live in a faithful relationship. As I go through some of these pictures, in your own mind, consider with me what we have learned in the Gospels. As Christ speaks of one day coming to claim his bride, he's speaking of Israel and Judah, of you and of me. He wants to come and bring us to faithfulness. He says, I will choose you. One from a town, two from a clan, I will bring you to Zion. This is going to be a a personal response to the invitation of God. Individuals will hear the word of God and say, that's for me. God is calling me to himself. I will come. I will be with God. And as I come, I will give you shepherds, Jeremiah says. Shepherds after my own heart. Not like these prophets and priests that have been giving you uh, false hope and, and preaching of, of uh, other uh, other ways to God and and other ways to worship. These shepherds will be true shepherds. And immediately my mind is drawn to to the parables of Jesus when he speaks of of there being a, a good shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. That's the first and and Jesus as he restores Peter on the banks of Galilee and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my people. Take care of them. Look after them. I want you to shepherd out of your love for me. My people are not going to be without a guide. They're not going to be without a true witness. I will put my spirit on those who will shepherd my people. I will increase your numbers, says the Lord. Now the parables Jesus speaks of of the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed. Though it is small when it's planted, it grows to be the the largest tree of the the garden. and, And the birds of the air are able to come and make their nests within it. Such will the increase be. And as the stories of Jesus begin to be told, thousands come to know him. And as they go out into the world, they spread this message of good news. And and people are added daily to those trusting in the Lord. No longer will the people say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. What was the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord? It was really just a... A box, highly 
you know, holy box dedicated to the Lord, but a box that, that had within it Aaron's staff that budded and, and copies of, of the, uh, and the, the tablets that, that God gave to Moses. But it then became the, uh, the symbol of God's presence with his people. Wherever the Ark of, of the Covenant went, God blessed, even if it was just within a household, unless it went for a time to foreign hands and then it became a curse to them. But, but when it was with the people, it was the sign of God's presence with his people. So why not have a, an Ark of the Covenant? Why aren't we still looking for it after the Babylonians took it off and there was no mention of it again? Because we no longer need it as the symbol of God's presence. When Christ died, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. There's no division between us and God. The presence of God is now with us. That's what God, Jesus promised us as he was preparing to leave his disciples. I will send you another and he will be with you. He will remind you of the things that I've taught you. In fact, he will give you power when he descends upon you. The Holy Spirit will dwell within you. God will be with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. And the nations of the earth will be blessed. The gospel, when it was first proclaimed, was was preached in many languages and many people gathered in Jerusalem heard the gospel in their own language and thought what is this God is preparing to bless the the nations of the earth from Jerusalem this word that is being preached it's going to begin here in Jerusalem go out into Judea into Samaria where descendants of those that had, had stayed from, from Israel were, but, but even beyond that, to the ends of the earth. Such will the nations be blessed. And Israel and Judah will join together. This is the inheritance that God has planned. So how does he plan to do this? God says... Verse 22, return faithless people and I will cure you of backsliding. Backsliding, I think, is like 12 times in the Old Testament, nine times in, Jer- in Jeremiah. It's, it's the main problem that, that Jeremiah is seeking to address here. But return and I will cure you from backsliding. Yes, I will come to you for you are the Lord our God. Sorry, yes, we will come to you, for you are the Lord our God. It speaks of people returning to the Lord, but really it's a message of God showing up for his people. What's the opposite of faithlessness? Faithfulness. What's the opposite of unfaithfulness? I think being true. Rather than someone who has betrayed a trust, someone who is true. So while people are described here as faithless and unfaithful, what's also being described here is someone who is faithful 
and true. And you heard me right at the beginning speak of, of God's word through the angel of the church at Laodicea about being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Those words were spoken by the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Later in Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 11, John says, I saw heaven open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called, what do you think? Faithful and true. And so what is the cure of backsliding? What is the, the hope for those who, who feel in their hearts that I, I, I want to serve the Lord I just keep being distracted by the other things that are around me. Those things that call out to my passions, those things that, that make hope easier, that, that might bring some other promise of rain without me crying out in repentance and confessing my sin. We have one who has created all these things and holds all these things in his hands. And he is called Faithful and true. In him are God's blessings to his people. In him are God's blessings to his land. In him is the ability to worship the Lord wherever we are, whoever we are. This is the hope of the nations. So let me ask you, if you, when you hear of Israel and Judah, think there's something of me in there, Hear God's message to these nations and believe there's something for me in there. We've, as we've already celebrated, God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we declare today that you are faithful and true. You have given us your servant who has taken upon him our shame, our guilt and given to us the promise of hope and security, of blessing, of a new heart that seeks to serve after you. And so, Lord, we confess our guilt before you. We wear our shame upon our faces. But then we look to you. And we remember that you are faithful and you are true. You have promised not to leave us, not to abandon us, but to call us into the promises that you have declared over us. So use us, we pray, as your people to bring this blessing to the nations, this light to the world, this hope to those who are perishing. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.